It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Welcome to Season 5 of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we talk with enterprise and technology platform leaders about the people, processes, and platforms that make marketing and customer experience successful, scalable, and sustainable. This is what creates an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advisor and consultant for Fortune 1000 marketing and CX leaders and teams as principal and chief strategist at GK5A and best-selling author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and Agile certified coach. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. To sign up for the Agile Brand newsletter and get the latest insights and articles on marketing technology and CX, or to purchase a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, go to gregkillstrom.com. You can also find all my books on Amazon and other retailers. And now on to the show. Today, we're going to talk about how AI and automation can help financial organizations fight fraud, bias, and create better and safer customer experiences. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Joe Robinson, co-founder and CEO at Hummingbird. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this with you. Certainly, uh, anything AI related is is very timely these days, and to, lo- looking forward to to diving in here. But first, why don't we get started with you giving a little background on yourself as well as what what Hummingbird does? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'm excited to chat about these topics. So, I'm Joe Robinson, CEO of Hummingbird. We're a company, a mission driven company focused on fighting financial crime. And I spent most of my career before this in the technology industry, moved into the fintech economy. My first role in that was as one of the early product managers at Square. I led a few of the products there and then went into the cryptocurrency industry at Circle. Took some time off between that and Hummingbird and then started Hummingbird to fight some of the issues that both companies were seeing in the financial crime realm. So... It's been an exciting journey for me, and and it's a it's a mission and an area that I'm very passionate about. Yeah, yeah, good good stuff. Yeah, let's so yeah, let's dive in here, and so we're going to be talking about how artificial intelligence or AI fits into the context of financial fraud. There are certainly a lot of ways that AI can be used to commit fraud, uh, from deep fakes to to many other methods. You know, we're so we're going to talk about this from from both angles, both committing fraud as well as preventing. So first, can you talk a little bit about how AI in the hands of potential criminals makes things more difficult for those in the financial industry? Yeah. Well, some of the models that have come out in the the past few months, so chat GPT and other large language models, I think represent a real sea change in technology. I, I was actually reading an article from Bill Gates, at, you know, who's been a leader in the tech industry for the last several decades, he sort of likened it to a a revolution in tech akin to the introduction of 
you know, visual is- interface and computing and, and that he's only seen a couple of these in his lifetime. So a really big deal, in other words. Yeah. And, um, you know, as I've explored it, I think we're seeing these technologies, you know, begin to change everything. I don't think we know quite yet where it's going since many of the models were only introduced over the last couple of months. But I think you can see companies like Microsoft and Google and others reacting very, very quickly and introducing these AI products into their their standard services. So when it comes to my world, anti-financial crime, what we're seeing is emergent trends where criminals are using some of the technologies to basically impersonate or, you know, better lead people to think that they're actual humans rather than, you know, bots and routines and things like that that are committing fraud. I don't think we know exactly how all of it will work. Criminals are just fantastically creative in some of their approaches, but it's something that we're watching and seeing evolve pretty rapidly, along with a lot of the great use cases with these technologies. So it's certainly, I think, overwhelmingly good but very interesting to see how things will play out. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, quick follow up to that and sort of to we'll stay negative for a minute and then we'll we'll get more positive here. But That's good. do you think that some of these and not even to name names in particular, but, you know, do you think some of these products and applications of, of these things are, you know, there there is such a race to get things to market. I mean, you know, seeing how Google was, you know, really trying to, here I name names, but, you know, Google is, is kind of racing to get barred out and in competition with ChatGPT and, and stuff like that. Do you think that companies are losing sight of the risk in, uh, as opposed to just trying to get stuff out to market? And, uh, you know, does that play into the hands of, of criminals or what, what do you think there? I, I guess my personal view would be that it's good to see technology companies pursuing, you know, useful and, and productive uses of these things. Um, yeah. Microsoft, yeah. you know, debuted some of the assistant in the office product suite. Google is launching Bard, as you mentioned. We've seen subsets of Microsoft like GitHub uh, introduce Copilot. And so, you know, I think a lot of these things will change the way we work, but for the better they will reduce the amount of paperwork and tedium and, you know, manual processes that a lot of people do today. But yeah, I mean, one of the, you know, things you can be the most sure of in, in any new technology is that criminals are also exploring uses of it. So, you know, we will also see criminals evolve their use of these technologies. You mentioned, uh, Greg, deep fakes, you know, that technology has been around for a few years now and it's getting easier and easier to use. That That's a particular interest area for me where the idea that a criminals or a corrupt government or anything like that could create news and deep fakes and video that are um, not real is, is really alarming, right? I think we will see an explosion of that stuff and it will call into question, you know, how do we know what's real? How do we trust uh, the information that we're receiving? So those are those are big issues that we're going to have to deal with in the coming years. Yeah, definitely. And so then, you know, from the inverse part, again, we kind of started 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 negative talking about the the criminals and how they might use this. But you touched on some of this already, but how can AI and other technologies actually be used to help financial institutions and, uh, and others fight fraud? Well, 
At the same time that criminals are evolving their use, so are companies that fight criminals, in, including my own, Hummingbird. And what we're seeing as new technologies emerge that can spot information generated by machine learning, you know, there are provenance technologies that can spot deep fakes. There are privacy protecting technologies that can help uh, reduce the amount of stolen, personally identifiable information that people have leaked into the web from being used by these technologies. So it's, it's a whole new economy, right? That includes both the bad and the good. There will always be great people in the world fighting these things. And I, you know, throughout my career, I'm a technology optimist. I, I believe that the good will outweigh the bad. That's, that's human nature. And uh, we'll see some great stuff emerge to help fight these things as well. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I I consider myself an optimist as well. And it's I yeah, I think for every every step back there's there's steps forward and and stuff definitely. And you know, that it's not just it's not just fraud that AI can be used for, you know, compliance is continually evolving, particularly for global organizations who may have different regulations depending on different regions they operate in and and things like that. How can automation and other systems help to ensure financial organizations certainly one of the you know one of the more highly regulated industries uh, you know how can it help them meet compliance and regulatory requirements more effectively so financial institutions are subject to a lot of regulations and there's a few different ways that these ais will be able to help at the most simple level Regulation itself exists as, you know, millions and millions of pages of regulation, right? It's yeah. literally, you know, there've been some estimates that are, there are some 50 million pages of uh, regulations that wow. financial institutions are subject to. So one of the most basic ways would be assistance that are able to help financial institutions navigate that through some sort of intelligent assistant. You know, this is very similar to what you see with chat GPT or other things that can help somebody navigate Wikipedia articles and information in a way such that, you know, you can ask, you know, who was Ben Franklin, for example, and get, uh, you know, a really neat and concise summary. So I think financial institutions and compliance professionals in particular will probably rapidly see assistance that are able to help them just navigate and understand the regulations that are applicable for their business. But I'm very interested in more sort of specific use cases around financial crime investigations. And I think this is where it gets interesting. Financial crime investigators today are, you know, kind of doing a blend of investigation, regulatory obligations, and paperwork. There's different components to the work. In the view of Hummingbird and the sort of philosophy that I've developed working in this space, we want those investigators to be spending as much of their time actually investigating, right? Finding large-scale criminal organizations, tracing flows of money, collaborating with law enforcement to provide information that can be used in prosecution. We don't think it's great for society when they spend all of their time on process and paperwork. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think the, the great application of these technologies here would be helping to remove the more tedious elements of it, helping to summarize the information in an investigation for the, the person working it, and then 
helping to share information between the industry and law enforcement when it comes time to actually prosecute something. Before we continue, let's take a quick break. If you're like many marketing leaders today, you're inundated with a need to improve the customer experience across an increasing number of channels and touch points, all while ensuring your team is performing well, innovating, and continuously improving. So how do you find the time to determine what's next for you, your team, your brand, and your customers? My company, GK5A, can help. Whether it is advisory services, evaluation of marketing technology platforms and solutions, or digital agencies and implementation partners, or assistance with creating strategic roadmaps and prioritization of efforts, we've done it all and served as an ally to Fortune 1000 brands and industries like financial services, healthcare, consumer electronics, professional services, and more. You can learn more about these services and contact us at www.gk5a. That's www.gk5a.com. Now let's get back to the show. So next topic I wanted to talk about, um, we, we don't talk a lot about crypto on this show, but you know, it, it gets good and, and bad hype and sometimes either good or bad is deserved. Sometimes it isn't, but you know, there's, there's definitely some misconceptions about it. I think, you know, across the board, but by, by many from your perspective, do, do technologies like blockchain and, and others make it easier or harder for criminals to commit fraud and, and other nefarious activities? Yeah, I, I started my career in crypto in 2014 when I joined Circle and, and actually I'd been introducing Bitcoin payments to Square's e-commerce products before that. So 2013 or so, but my first actual role in the industry was at Circle. And, you know, that was about five years past the Satoshi papers and when Bitcoin started to come into the scene. Yeah. I think any new technology is going to have good and bad, as we've discussed. Right, right. Um, and the, the bad with crypto, of course, is that it can be the currency that fuels uh, the dark web economy, right? Yeah. We've seen that in high-profile cases like the Silk Road and, and Ross Ulbricht. We've seen Alpha Bay. I'm actually reading a, a great book right now called Tracers in the Dark by Andy Greenberg. And he gives us excellent history of how the crypto industry evolved to fuel the dark web. But at the same time, law enforcement agents were sort of evolving their understanding and using it to pursue those criminals. So you have this great story of kind of both sides, good and bad, evolving in parallel and, you know, things happening. Yeah. So in terms of crypto and, and does it uh, actually help facilitate fraud and other nefarious activities? Yes, certainly. But I don't think more so per se than, than say cash, right? Cash is also the currency of crime, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. The majority of cash bills in circulation are $100 bills. Many are in places we have no idea where they are. They are still the predominant currency of money launderers and criminal enterprises and things like that. And you see that kind of moving online with cryptocurrency. But again, I think the crypto itself, the technology itself actually has many things that would improve the fight against financial crime. And, and that's what I'm very excited about. Yeah. Yeah. And could you elaborate a little bit on, you know, what, what are some of those ways that it could improve, uh, yeah. improve things? Yeah. Um, well, 
for one, it's it's a digital asset, right? There is a, a ledger that exists for all time, basically. The way the blockchain works is every transaction on the blockchain is there to be traced forever. Yeah. Now, you know, criminals have gotten good about using mixers and tumblers and anonymity preserving cryptocurrencies and in contrast to Bitcoin, say, which is a pseudonymous currency. But I think there's a lot of potential in digital currencies to sort of bake safety into the currency itself, right? To bake trust into it, to bake tracking and, and prevention of criminal enterprises. An evolution that I'm particularly curious about is central bank digital currencies. Mm. So as the central banking system begins to issue its own digital currencies, could those actually have features that make the the currency inherently more safe, right? Uh, yeah. Would they be able to prevent large-scale criminal enterprises from using the currency to facilitate their own business, for example? Yeah. And those are the types of things that, you know, that, that's kind of an open book right now. We can develop anything we want into digital currency, and that in some ways is is its greatest potential. Yeah, and so along those lines, you've worked in the financial space for for a while you've worked with some early adopters in in this realm are you seeing is it a grudging reluctance is it a growing acceptance of of this in the the broader financial sector of you know just things like crypto and blockchain and and other things like that i mean are are we on the cusp of this becoming more mainstream or you know where where do you see things as they currently stand well, I certainly, I, you know, because when we're talking here in, in March 2023, I think the the crypto industry and, and pricing is at one of its lower points. Yeah, yeah. I definitely don't see it going anywhere, meaning I don't see it going away, I guess, yeah, right. is what I should say. <laughs> um, I think the technology of, you know, a system that can prove digital ownership of an asset without intermediary third party, which is kind of what crypto and blockchain technologies are. Those are great technologies, right? They they bring a lot of benefit into the world. Now, where where do we see it going from here? And and do we see reluctance in the industry? It kind of depends, right? And in, in the startup economy, there's obviously a lot of investment. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of innovation still happening. My company, Hummingbird, works with many of those companies to help meet their anti-financial crime obligations. You see a much slower approach to it from large banks. That, I think, speaks to the level of regulation and scrutiny that are on those banks and, and just the fact that for them, they just have to be very, very cautious about the risks. They have to really understand what people are doing with those currencies. And as a result, you see larger banks, you know, taking a much more conservative approach to their adoption of these technologies. But I think at this point in 2023, probably every major bank in the world is now experimenting with cryptocurrency, at least in some sort of innovation lab. So yeah. we yeah. will see more coming from them. I'm sure of that. Yeah. Got it. So the last topic I wanted to talk about is uh, less related to fraud, but Still, it's sometimes difficult to diagnose and, and detect, and that's discrimination within financial systems. So for the audience less familiar with some of these issues, can you talk a little bit about how the problem of bias can occur within systems and how things like unconscious bias can often be difficult to detect in them? Absolutely. 
the financial industry, unfortunately, has a, a long history of systemic discrimination. And I think it's it's actually closely related to some of the risk practices, not not exclusively linked, but um, yeah. there are, you know, related factors of the uh, risk practices that these institutions take that lead to it. So just a, a little bit of kind of background on it. Financial institutions, when they work with their customers, whether those are businesses or individuals, they're always sort of assessing the risks associated with those particular customers. So they're they're looking at any factors they can gather about where the customers are, what industries they work in or operate in, what their income is like, you know, patterns of activity, transactions, things like that. None of that is nefarious. That that is meant to basically keep our our financial and financial industry safe, keep the system safe and and flowing for all of us good people. But what can happen is that type of risk adjustment, risk assessment can bleed into things like discrimination and preventing certain populations from receiving equal access to financial services, which, you know, many, many studies have shown that lack of access to financial resources can hurt major populations over the long term. So it's, you know, I think in anti-financial crime efforts, it's very, very important for institutions to keep an eye out for systemic bias introduced through machine learning models. You know, one of the things that is common is machine learning will look at hundreds or thousands of attributes to arrive at the decisions that it does. You need to understand what those attributes are, how it's influencing its own decision and how it's arriving at conclusions that may or may not prevent someone from gaining access to financial services. Yeah. And then I think investigators and compliance professionals and, and risk professionals need to watch out for their own unconscious biases. These folks are doing great work to keep the industry safe, but they're also making judgments on an almost daily basis about customers and risk assessments and things like that. So they need to be careful about their own personal unconscious bias as they're making some of those decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And so to that point, you know, from a prevention standpoint for, for bias, I mean, do you see transparency in the, the decisions that AI is making as, as, as a, a big part of that prevention? The data science community would call this model explainability, which yeah. means you know, when you write a machine learning model or an AI, in other words, that is making decisions, you're able to look at the way it arrived at that decision and explain why it did. You can explain the factors that may have led to that decision. And that that is very important for sure, particularly in risk assessments for things like lending, mortgages, transactions, you know, anti-money laundering, things like that. Model explainability becomes a really important characteristic of applying these machine learning models. You've got to understand how it's actually assessing your customers and how it's arriving at decisions. If you don't, there's just very high risk that uh, the model will make decisions based on factors that could be discriminatory. Yeah, yeah. So I also wanted to ask you, in addition to financial-specific uh, and, and fraud specific technologies, so some more general AI technologies, chat GPT all over the news, as we were talking about earlier and, and some of its, its competitors and, and similar, similar products. Where do you see things like 
generative AI or, or tools like ChatGPT, MidJourney, things like that, positively uh, or negatively impacting the the financial industry moving forward? Yeah. On the positive side, which is where I'd like to focus a lot of my attention, yeah. you know, financial health is, you know, a basic human right, right? Like we we want everybody in our society to have basic financial health that requires financial education, requires uh, literacy and some of the basic concepts. And as with a lot of things in education, I believe these models can help users. It can help meet users kind of where they are. So if people coming from different levels, different learning styles, different backgrounds, things like that, chat GPT and other AIs like them can meet the, the people where they are and provide the level of assistance that they need. I spent some of my time with IDEO.org, uh, the nonprofit arm of IDEO. One of the projects I worked on there was basically helping people that are going through a financial crisis. And, you know, one of the things about financial crises is you, you've just got to help that person through the immediate crisis before they're able to sort of learn and recover from the impacts of that. And I, I think these models, although um, that will require uh, actual financial injection of cash and things like that, money in many cases, the financial, the power for education from these models uh, would be a powerful uh, leveler for society. It could bring people up to basic levels of financial literacy and explain things well. Yeah, yeah, love it. Well, this has been great talking with you. I've got one last question before we wrap up here. Um, you've given a lot of great advice already, but you know, what's one piece of advice that you would have for financial organizations that want to take their fraud prevention further as they navigate the months ahead? I think a lot of financial institutions should be looking into how these AI technologies are going to affect the world around them. It'll be a challenge for, it'll be a challenge for a variety of uh, data privacy reasons and protections to bring, you know, a, a third party technology like chat GPT into the organization. Right. But that doesn't mean the financial industry is going to be unaffected by these things. Right. So I think for folks listening who might be in compliance roles, who might be in risk roles, it's just as important that you understand how this is going to affect the working world as it is to specifically look at how your own financial institution might use the technologies. Like a lot of other things in the world, we will start to see both legitimate customers and criminals start to use these technologies. And we've got to be able to adapt our, our own processes to accommodate that. Yeah, yeah. Great advice. Well, again, I'd like to thank Joe Robinson, co-founder and CEO at Hummingbird for joining the show. You can learn more about Joe and Hummingbird by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. To get a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, visit my website, or you can find it on Amazon or other retailers. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. 
From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile.